Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the no-fluff, actionable marketing podcast for marketers, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In today's episode, you will learn how to build an audience with video. My guest today is the founder and CEO of Wistia, which is the video software for businesses that you probably have heard of a few times before. Uh, recently, what I found to be super interesting is that Wistia turned down the offer to sell the company and instead took $17 million of debt. And you know why? Because they want to run the business their way. So super happy to have uh, my guest on board. He actually loves creative brands which I do as well, but he also loves disaster movies, which is something I'm curious about. Anyway, Chris Savage, <laughs> welcome aboard. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So what's your favorite disaster movie? Uh, right now, I would say it's San Andreas. Oh, Jesus. With The Rock. You know, it, when you're watching a disaster movie, you kind of, you, you know what you're getting. It's very like, let's see how terrible they could make this, how over the top they can make this. And I just think that one, you know, it's... It's got everything. It's got helicopters. It's got, you know, a giant fault line that tons of people are living on. It's outrageous. Uh, but I think for what it was, it was, it was well done. It was great. <laughs> so the criteria for a good disaster movie is it has to be over the top. There, ha there has to be helicopters. Like there has to be helicopters. Yes. yes there has yes. to be tanks. I mean, it's, well, it's, yes. It's funny. My taste, I've found that, like, over time, so I, I majored in film when I was in school, and I was really into the, the films that, like, made you feel like weird, you know, like stuff that was like totally disjointed storylines that required an enormous amount of analysis. And over time, I do like that stuff, but I found that it's like, sometimes it's almost, this is, would be an extreme way to say it. It's like disaster movies are not meditation, but like, you know what you're getting. And yeah, I find it's like 2012 is another great one. Uh, the day after tomorrow is another great one. So, you know, there's, there's not that many great disaster films, but uh, the ones that are out there, I, I do enjoy. So we've all heard the same thing, right? Um, video is taking over the world, right? Uh, so we talk about movies, moving on to videos. And is it actually true that video is actually taking over the world, that more and more people watch videos? Or is it something that video marketers are telling us to sell their stuff? Yeah, it's funny as you're saying that, like, definitely something the video marketers, of course, will tell you is that video is taking over the world. I think that entertaining content for that is specific to your interests is taking over the world. So like that could end up being video and it also can be the right podcast and also can be the right book. But I, I feel like our culture has gone from, we used to have a culture where the internet was like a small part of it once the internet was formed and the internet was for nerds and on the internet, everyone was into something weird. But like out of the internet in our culture, you weren't. And now our culture is the internet. And so everyone's into their weird thing. And everyone has like these things that were tiny niches can be huge opportunities. They can become huge audiences. And uh, so for the right niche, yes, they, they, you can, they expect content that is really engaging for them, which they expect videos that are actually engaging and genuine, authentic. They expect podcasts that are like right on the money in terms of like the alignment of their their interests um they expect books blogs like i think people expect that the the little niche that they're interested in they will get really engaging stuff uh within that so yeah video is important but i i think storytelling more than anything is like more more important that lends itself really well to video right. um i would say also yeah and video has gotten much easier to create it's gotten cheaper the tools have gotten better much more democratized which is great. And so I, we see a lot more video, but it's not like everyone's just walking to work watching videos, you know, like they're listening to podcasts and they're doing everything. So I'm glad you didn't give me a bullshit answer. I, I wasn't expecting you to, but you know, there was a possibility you would say, absolutely, video is everything. And I agree with you. It's only a format. <laughs> it's only a format, right? The things behind it, the, 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 the first principles behind video, the engagement, the authenticity, the fact that you can do them more and more cheaply, the fact that people have no time and they need something that really is relevant to them. That all makes sense. So today together, what we try to do is trying to talk about how to build an audience using video. And hopefully we can get into a step-by-step -step scenario where maybe we are like trained 
taking a fictitious example of a company that is not using video that well and maybe doesn't have a massive audience mm -hmm. and maybe trying to figure mm -hmm. out how to build an audience this way. So why don't we get started straight away then? Because uh, you are the expert uh, in video marketing uh, for sure. So let's say we are a business that have maybe a decent audience or some sort of an audience and we want to use video. We realize that it might be a good thing or maybe that's a step that you want to decide uh, whether it's a good thing or not. So how would you advise a business like this to start with video? Like what is the first step you envision? Uh, I would say the first thing is, uh, are, do we have a website? Yes. Okay. So I think website's probably step one. <laughs> if you are uh, transacting on the internet and then I would ask the question like, how many people are finding you? How are they finding you? What's holding them back? Like, I think the thing that video does well is you can tell a story and you can tell it in a linear way that, that makes something complex more simple. So, you know, five years ago, we was kind of when we saw tons of explainer videos popping up. And I think the reason that was the case is that so many companies have so much trouble explaining what it is they even do, like how they differentiate from anybody else. And so the hiring outside firm to come in and say like, this is how, from our perspective, from a 30,000 foot view, this is how we describe what you do. And, uh, and this is how we would make it clear to others. That's still an opportunity. If you're hearing things like, we don't know what you do. If you, if it is clear that people know what you're doing, then I would look, I would look across your funnel and say like, are there moments that people are getting stuck where usually a human interjects and they help them, someone get through that part of the funnel. There might be something there, whether it's a demo of your product, it's onboarding, it's education about the space, like whatever the thing is. I would look for opportunities like that because it's if you haven't been using video, it feels scary from a brand perspective. It's often what I hear is people say, well, yeah, I think we should probably make video, but if we don't make a good one, will it actually just hurt us? And the answer is, if you make a really crappy video, it will hurt you. So you have to be careful or you have to find places where you really know what you're talking about and you can make something that is um, really genuinely engaging that does help someone through the funnel. That's not really, that's like helping to optimize a funnel though. That's not really building an audience. Yeah. So what are we, what are we marketing? What are we selling? So let me go back a bit what you said. So first off, you said, if you don't know what really you're selling, if people come back to you and say it's not super clear, a video is good, is good for that. And it's funny because you've all, like, if you're listening to this podcast right now, you probably can picture those explainer videos that Chris is mentioning about, like, those, those drawings type, cartoony yeah. type of thing that everyone used three or four years ago uh, about explaining with this stupid music in the background. I remember, actually, I did do this exact thing in the first marketing role I had. I actually used Wistia to host it and Powtoon to do it. And, okay, yeah. and exactly this, so the, the cliche of explainer video, because we couldn't write it properly on the website. So that's the proper exact way. And then the second thing you, you talked about, about the funnel is if you figure out there are steps that people struggle to, and usually a, a person has to step up, then it's a good thing to answer that with a video, mm -hmm. because it's almost like a human on demand. It's someone helping you, yeah. but it's not exactly what you like to, to chat about. It's more like how to build an audience from scratch. Is it? Yeah. I think if you're. I mean, we could chat about all of this. I would say building an audience from scratch or figuring out how to go from renting other people's audiences to to having like a larger audience which knows you, knows your company, knows what you do differently. And they're actually like encouraging others to join your audience versus encouraging people to like buy your product is just a different thing. It's higher in the funnel. It's a little bit more fuzzy. It's a little bit harder to do. But when done, at least when I've seen it done really well it can be the type of thing that lifts a business enormously. You know, it's not like a 10% improvement on a page. It's like, oh, wow, this can be what all of our marketing activities are around. And I will say it doesn't have to be video. I mean, obviously, we're here on a podcast. Anybody listening to this is listen, has found this podcast, is listening to it. And if they like it, they tell other people about it and other people find it. And it's like you've built an audience with audio. And the question I would say is like, is there a way that you can use video that's going to help you grow your audience faster or does is that not something that you need to do and it's for some people they try to build a podcast that doesn't work and they try to build an audience of video and it does work so it's it's kind of like figuring out the right match between your business your values what you think you're going to be willing to work on for a long time what you're going to be persistent at and if you can figure those things out and match them to what your company needs then i think you can 
you can figure out a way to do it. All right. So let's take a step back. I can see a lot of microphones in the background. Let's take an example that we are selling microphones. Those microphones are super good for video. So it's like a perfect match. Yeah. Wistia, Wistia offers you the hosting, the analytics, and, and the tools to capture emails and all of that. Yeah. Microphones for video, they're portable, they're all of that. So let's say we have that and we want to build an audience as you described, instead of ranting yeah. about people's audience. So how would you go about it? I would try to figure out what angle do we have uh, with these microphones that is unique that other people aren't talking about or thinking about. And then is there a way, you know, I'd probably guess, like, let's say it's the microphone or they're all like cardioid mics. So it's like very wide range of sound that they're picking up. And people don't realize that like it's, it's much easier to use and maybe we are automatically balancing the dynamic range when someone speaks so no one's ever clipping out. And there's a few different things. The question would be like, how do we make people aware of the problems that exist? How do we give them interesting creative solutions? And is there a storyline that aligns with like the mission behind these microphones that we can really market? Like I like to think about it as like, what's the mission that our product helps you accomplish? And now we just need to market that mission. And people who care about accomplishing that thing will care. So in the case of the microphones, it's probably about getting really, really high quality audio. It's probably about capturing, let's say it's about capturing great stories. And so what we want to do is, is produce a show that is about like capturing the highest quality stories. So we go find storytellers and we record it beautifully with like beautiful audio editing. It just sounds crisp and amazing. And we encourage people to listen to it on their best headphones. And every episode is like an auditory journey of um, like really interesting sounds that were all recorded with our mics, but we never have to say that. And if people like it and they like that thing and they're audio nerds and they care about this particular thing, they'll tell other people who care about it. And that and then hopefully you just like, you keep doing it. So you, you very naturally broke down this, this task in small steps and very naturally identified the mission and all of that. So let's take a step back then and try to understand how can someone do that uh, for, for their business? How can someone do an identify a mission? Because you naturally pointed to that yeah. uh, as a fictitious example. How do you advise people to, to truly understand the mission behind their product? Should they contact their best customers? Should they interview people yes. internally? Yeah. How should they do it? Yes. Yeah, I think if you don't know but you have customers, you should contact your best customers. And you should say, what do you think the mission of our business is? What is it we're trying to do? And that happened with us. Actually, we weren't really even, we were making content to teach people how to use video better. And, but we weren't really thinking about it. We we're just doing it because it was working. You know, we didn't have a big strategic plan. And then we started talking to our customers and like, well, obviously your mission is to, to try to make business more human with video and educate people about how to use video really well. It's like, yes, yeah, so I guess that, yeah, I guess that is what we're doing. And we started doing that, which in our case had very little to do with video hosting, <laughs> but like it's video related, but it's not about like delivering large files over the internet and encoding videos and analytics. It has nothing to do with that. It's like very different, but it resonated with people who a small fraction of our audience cared about that. So I often look for like, what is the mission that your product helps somebody solve? And your product probably helps solve a very small percentage of the mission if it's done properly, like 5% of the mission. The other 95% should be the things that are like education, philosophy, other relevant tools, people, like a treasure trove of stuff to talk about. And if you figure that out and you build an audience around that whole hundred, then the people who care about the 5% that is your product will find it. But you have like an unlimited number of things that you can talk about. So this is a super important concept because I know from experience that marketers struggle with that because they're afraid that if the mission is too big or doesn't really contain the product and the product doesn't contain the mission, then it feels like we're going too far. Are we diluting what the product does? We must talk about the product all the time. What you're saying is from experience, what you've done with Wistia is that the, the content that you produce, which I read quite often, could be something like how to set up a cheap uh, video system to record super quality, high quality videos from the from your office yeah. at home, right? And so you don't yeah. only teach them on, as you said, how to host the video on your platform, how to check where, how many people viewed it. You teach them the step beyond before that, which is yeah. how do you actually do a nice video to start with, right? So yeah. that's what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for us, like, you know, one of the interesting things in our space is that 
everybody wants to use video and everyone's kind of afraid of using it. And so we have to help people get confident getting on camera. And that's hard. But it turns out that the fact that it's hard is good because for good for us, because there's so many different ways we can try to teach that and help people get comfortable and help them use different gear and help them think about storytelling and all these different things. And so there's just so much stuff that you can write about and make videos about and do interviews about and all this kind of stuff. It's just like an unlimited amount of things. And it is, it was a weird moment for us because we were just marketing our product and it was working, but it wasn't like growing dramatically. It wasn't until we figured out how to actually talk about the mission that our product helped solve that was much bigger than our product could solve that we actually had a shot of like building an audience. And I see that a lot. And it's, it's often like, those are the reasons you might have started your company in the first place or chose to sell a particular product or whatever. And yet, like, we don't talk about that stuff that much. Yeah, it's just, it's finding it makes it, it just makes everything easier. You kind of know where you want to go. There's a limited number of things to talk about. You know what your audience is going to care about. And you have to understand their problems that are going to stop them from, from accomplishing the mission you want to accomplish. Do you have another example of this difference between what the product does and what your mission entails? Uh, just like another product and mission. Seems really um, the concept a bit more. Yeah, this is a funny one, but we at our we did a conference for a few years that was really great, and we used to do workshops as a part of it. And we had someone come who was trying to market like helping people solve fertility issues. And he's like, "All right, you know, we have this like fertility program. It's about like timing of." Um, everything related to that and all these other things. And it's like a system to use and software to track things. And or like, and he's like, and he was having trouble trying to figure out how to market it because how many people were searching for this. And eventually what he realized was that he had to go. And the reason he was doing this and the reason he cared about it was like helping people obviously have children, helping people build the lives they wanted to build, helping people emulate their own families, helping them like with this like very emotional, heady, bigger thing that his fertility software was like a tiny piece of, you know, it was like helping people like live, create their legacy and live on and like live happier lives and um, reduce stress in marriages and stuff. And so he ended up finding a way for a mission in terms of like helping, I think what he landed on was helping, helping couples build like more lasting relationships and then solving fertility was like a small part of that. But like when you start thinking about that, there's so many other things you can do. That was like why he got into it in the first place. It was a very emotional thing, <laughs> obviously. But I've even talked about things like as simple as uh, they have these like plastic, little plastic bags that normally like get almonds in. There's this company that sells these bags like that. And it's like, well, what's their mission? Is like to sell bags you could put almonds in. Is like, seems like that's not interesting. But if you start going towards like, organizing your life and like helping food be more sustainable and um, reducing like by making reusable things, reduce the amount of plastics that are being created. Suddenly you have something that everyone cares about or a subset of the world cares about and they're going to pick your product for that reason. They're going to pay attention for that reason. So it's often just removing from a few steps of where you are to something bigger that people care about. And usually that has like an emotional element to it. And then once you can do that, then I think you can find, find a mission. But I can, I can hear listeners in my ear telling me, you know, that's all well and good. This sounds like on paper, a very good strategy. Wistia is doing that extremely successfully, but I'm going to have a tough time convincing myself or convincing my CEO or my manager to go after that. Cause it seems like worshi yeah. worshi marketing type of thing, right? Like, is it actually yeah. the right thing to do? Yeah. I mean, it depends on what kind of risks your business can sustain and how long they can stay focused on like a problem like this. So I would say it shouldn't be the only thing that you're doing. Like it just like you were talking about before, it should be a balance. Like I would look at this as more, if you were to categorize some of your efforts as like brand marketing efforts versus product marketing efforts, I would throw this more in the brand marketing side and help people f see other ways that it can be beneficial. One of the things that we've seen is when we actually layer on risk onto a project, if we have enough different ways that the project could work, it becomes incredibly easy to do, even though it's not particularly measurable. So we did a we did a project last year, which was called 110100, where we had worked with this video agency in LA, Sandwich Video, and they created three ads for us for Soapbox, which is one of our products that helps you make videos. 
a thousand, one with a thousand dollar budget, one with a ten thousand dollar budget, one with a hundred thousand dollar budget. So one hundred eleven thousand dollars, and um, it was as if a team was building it internally. So it was like all the production costs that you would have if you did it internally. And then we documented this and created a four part series where you could watch the whole thing. When we decided to do that project, a significant investment to decide to do these ads. We'd never spent this much money on ads or videos like this. And then we thought, okay, well, if we document the behind the scenes of this, then at the very least, even if the ads don't work, the concept doesn't hit, maybe we can teach people some of the stuff that we learned behind the scenes. So we started like documenting it. And then we thought, well, the video team is going to go out and they're going to see how Sandwich works. So they're probably going to learn some stuff from them. So it's kind of learning and development for that team. So if the other two things fail, at least they got that learning and development. And then we decided the way we'd release it is by just releasing the ads first and then releasing the documentary series. And so we thought maybe the, even the story of just the ads themselves would be interesting. So we end up with like six different ways that this project could, could work. And if, if one of the six really returned, it would probably be worth it. And then the cool thing was, in that case, we released the ads by themselves and people got excited just about that, the concept. And there was like a lot of chatter and it kind of took off. And so suddenly we're like, wow, I think this project was worthwhile, which then gave us more confidence to take more risks going bigger with the other elements of the, of the project. And so by itself, with only one risk, be really hard to pull off. But by having the other elements to it, it made it much easier to stomach the risk. And then uh, the upside was also higher and it ended up, you know, we ended up being unbelievably happy with how it turned out. And I think if we not layered on all those those levels of risk, I don't know that we even could have done it. And we're a company that does this all the time. Yeah. So as the, you're, you're the CEO of Wistia, right? So you're like, you're very well placed to answer this question. As the CEO, this is the type of things you want to know. Like, let's say you have a project that someone proposed to you. You want to know, okay, what's the risk, but also what's the potential reward? And more importantly, yes. could we have multiple rewards? If we hit the jackpot, yes. we can have six if we, if, yep. right. So that's what you like to, to see. And I assume. I love that. Yes. Others yes. would like to see that. Other CEOs, other managers. Yes. And I would say also just this idea of building an audience and, and trying to market a mission going a little bit up the funnel. The other reason why that's an exciting idea is that usually what happens in marketing, in my experience, is that you find a channel and you find some sponsorship for a podcast and you do it. And you try another podcast. It doesn't work as well. You try another one. It doesn't work as well. You find one more. kind of works. So you've got two podcasts working, maybe three that aren't. How do you scale it? Like if they're coming in and customers coming in, how do you scale it? It's really tough unless one of your podcasts is growing dramatically, which is great. So in this, at least in this type of scenario, it's a longer term investment. But if you end up, if you can end up building your own audience and you can own it, then you can see the signs of like, well, this might not be a 2x thing if it works. This could be a 100x thing or a 1000x thing, but it's going to take a long time. That's okay if you can see progress. That's one of the best things you could possibly invest in. And so it's actually trying to figure out along the way, what are the steps you're taking so that each time you take a step, if it works out, great. And if it doesn't work out, you hopefully learn something and you can keep moving forward. That's a fantastic way to talk about like finding your mission because that was where we were at at the start. So for this fictitious micro microphone company, you talked about yeah. identifying a mission that is bigger than a product and just taking some risk with it and, and, and going for it 100%, uh, which is for you probably one of the best ways to build an audience from scratch. So how, how do you see then video to be part of this journey potentially like for this microphone? Yeah, so, so what I'm seeing is that expectations are shifting where if I'm on YouTube, I, ex I will expect to see on YouTube things that are probably professionally created, clips from shows that I like, um, individual people who have built up a presence, content from companies that's totally relevant, and it's all zeroed in on what my interests are. And so from a viewer's perspective, I kind of expect that in, however I can consume content in an entertaining way, whether it's video or audio or reading, I expect I'll be able to find things that are related to my interests. And so for video, I would say in the microphone company case, you need to figure out like, what are the stories and things that audio nerds care about who would be the people who are buying your microphones? And what are they not getting in the other places where they're hanging out? And 
So I would probably look at creating shows that, and um, just like a media company, I would think like, let's make a show. How many episodes do we need to make before we figure out if it's going to work? How important is it that that episode, that those episodes live on my site versus living on social versus being on everything at once and try to figure out a strategy that is like, if you're trying to sell microphones, you probably want the show living on your site. We probably want it syndicated to the social platforms to try to bring people back to the site. And so I would, I would just start looking for concepts that are like, do you interview like the best audio mixers out there? Do you find people who are interested in using the same tools that are used on films? Do you like, I would go down a list of different types of shows and concepts you could create. And then I try to figure out how to vet them. And um, just like it would be complementary to what I was doing in podcasting and complementary to what I was doing in blogging and book writing and all those types of things. How do you do this when it comes to like picking up the show? And, and then, yes, you mentioned the difference between uh, whether you need to host it on your website, whether you should host it on YouTube first. And you quickly chose for, for the Microsoft, comp uh, the microphone company that's selling stuff on their website, it's better if the video would be on their website. If they're trying to sell microphones, I, I think the question is like, it, it depends on how you're trying to justify what you're doing. So if your boss is saying, we need to sell more microphones, I don't want to do long-term investments, then you have to figure out a way to get more traffic to your website where people are going to see the microphone and they're going to buy it. And if you can get people sharing things on your website, that is going to tend to be the best way to do that. If, you're, if you can be in a spot where it's like, okay, that's not what we're trying to do. We're just trying to build up an audience. Then you can maybe start on other platforms. And I would look at the platforms and try to figure out like, how can you have a unique opinion on for the audience that cares about this stuff on that platform. So sometimes it makes sense to start on your site and sometimes it doesn't. It kind of depends on the company, whether at how much risk tolerance they have and what, what their goals are. So it's, it sounds like if it's a short-term thing, it's really close to the money, really close to revenue. It sounds like, and your website is the source of revenue. It sounds like video is a good place to start when, when it, Hosting on the website is a good place to start hosting videos on your website. But if it's a more yeah. long-term investment, if your company is more of the risk-taking side and they want to build an audience first to understand the long-term effect of being an audience for, for people to buy stuff, then it sounds like it's probably a good idea to, to start, as you said, top of the funnel, start a show and, and, and all of that, right? Yeah, I think, I think that's right. And I think the question you have to ask yourself is let's say you have 30,000 views per episode or something. What will happen? Like, because someone will ask you that question. If you have 30,000, great, you have a show and there's 30,000 views per episode. What's happening? Like, what are they doing? You got to have something that's either like the engagement is really high. So there's like a lot of comments and likes and people are sharing it on social. There's like, they're watching other videos or you have to, you have, you're going to be asked that question. And so I think that's a good thing to try to evaluate. And then the other thing is if you have an audience that already exists, like you already have an email list, you have people who are already like paying attention to your blog, it's obviously going to be easier to get those. Those people don't need to go to someone else's platform to see your content. You can have them on your, like, on your own website in the first place. So I kind of think of it as like people who have made it into your audience and they care about what you're doing they'll happily go to your website to watch something or read something or learn something. But if they have not, if you don't have that level of trust yet, you have to go higher in the funnel. Like you have to go searching higher in the funnel and figure out a way to build your own slice of the audience. So how do you pick up those metrics? Because you, you said could be engagement. So it could be success could look like comments, people sharing could also be potentially people signing up after watching the video, or you could be, brand yeah. awareness, uh, how many people search for your, for your brand, yeah. you know, yeah. so what is, how do you advise people to pick up, to pick those metrics, especially when it, it comes to talking to you as a CEO, talking to a manager to say, yeah. Hey, this is what we want to try. I say, try to pick the metrics up front because that is where, if you can get someone to agree up front and say like, we're looking to increase brand searches to take your example, great thing to try to increase pretty good, pretty clear. I would say. Someone is searching for your company. They've heard of it. They probably at least know they've decided they're either going to, they're probably not planning on wasting their time on, on your site. There's probably some reason why they want to go. Get people to agree to that up front. If we could get brand search up this much, would that be good? And everyone would say, yes. 
It's like, all right, we're not going to care about conversions to paid. We're not going to, that's not what we're looking to do. Just looking at brand search. Yes. Okay. Do it. The key I think is doing it up front. The problem I run into is like when I've seen many times is when you don't do it up front, you come back with the results and they'll have a list. Like these are all the numbers that it moved. And everyone goes to like, well, how many deals did it get us? Like how much, how many customers? At some point, someone's going to say that because you want to see how much money you put in, how much you get out. And if you weren't clear about the metrics up front, then you're likely, especially a lot of this stuff that's longer term, like it's harder to track the connection to the customer. You're likely to have people saying like, this is not working. And you're like, well, I think it's working. Look at all this engagement. And like, yeah, no, like that's, that's, you, you didn't know that that was going to happen. So it's like, that's your nice excuse for why we should keep doing it versus saying up front, the most important thing we need is engagement. No one's talking about our brand. We need people searching for the brand. The proxy before searching for the brand is going to be views. The proxy before that is going to be percentage view. The proxy before that is going to be number of likes. And we're going to look at like how much we spent to promote this and how many people watched it. That's going to be success. And if we get customers, great. And then you go back, you get smaller customers. Everyone's delighted because that wasn't the intention. The intention was to build that long-term audience. And I think it's that, it's that framing up front. And uh, it really helps people know that... Because even if you're wrong, which you're likely to be if you're trying new stuff all the time... At least if you're thinking about it up front and measuring those things and asking those questions, it just makes it so much easier to keep investing. I've made this mistake so many times. I made this mistake recently, not being able to set up the expectations from the start. And ex exactly what you described happened, where you don't set the expectations. And so leadership was expecting something completely different in their head. There was no clarity in, like in my head compared to their head. And you basically end up... I basically end up trying to find excuses and say, well, actually it worked. If you look at this metric, it kind of worked. But yeah, yeah, that wasn't what we expected. So this is absolutely true when it comes to trying to come up with any projects, setting up the expectation up front, having one single metric that matters, right? One thing that yes. matters the most yep. for you. And so out of curiosity for the 111, uh, 110, 111 budget campaign, what was the metric that you started with? What was the one metric that matters the most for you? Yeah, that's a great question. We, from the beginning, looked, we wanted to see engaged views. So that was like, we had the, and this is for the docu-series part of it. So we basically had like a goal that was like looking at the number of views that of the docu-series on our site. And then we had clips and a trailer of it that we put on YouTube, Facebook, and we um, used it as advertising on Instagram and a bunch of different things. So we, we want to know total time spent with the brand and the total amount of engaged views. That was like the key metric that we were looking for. Then we had some other metrics that were at like additional, but were not the key ones. So it was like, there's going to be a moment when we were promoting the trailer before the, the series came out. How, how many emails do we think that people would give us to who are excited about seeing the actual thing. And then the effectiveness of the ads, we had like a cost per install that we were looking at for like, if you installed Soapbox, what was our expected amount of that we would spend there? So we had like three different budgets for the same campaign, all with different metrics, but the main one was that engage view one. Uh, how did you define engage view? Was it someone who stayed more than a minute? What was it? Yeah, we, I, think we, I think we said it was someone who spent more than two minutes. And it was really interesting because the mix of how that happened was very different. So for the trailers and the ads themselves, the ad, there was three ads total about six minutes, five minutes or so. So if you watched all three ads, you were definitely engaged. Trailer was like two minutes long. So it was about a trailer view. And then um, the actual series was an hour and 42 minutes. <laughs> so like we thought two minutes of that would still be good. The interesting thing was that I think it was about like six or seven. If you made it six or seven minutes into the docu-series, like 75% of people watched the whole thing. It was crazy. And I think it was also because for us, it was very different than types of content we've made before. But because there was a trailer where you could get the, the like high level on this, you could go read a blog post, you could see specific examples about this content. The only people who are going to watch this thing all the way through are the people who really want to see the behind the scenes. They really want to understand the creative process and the differences between them. And so once that happened, if you got in there, it was just really interesting, dropped, and then it just it just stuck. People stuck with it through the whole thing, um, which meant from a brand hours and impact is by far the most effective thing we've ever done. 
Well, well, thanks for sharing all of those insights. Really appreciate it. So if we go back to the problem we're trying to solve here, which is building an audience with video, is there anything else you want to talk about that we haven't touched on yet? Yeah, I would say figure out how to market a mission, figure out how to go up the funnel and think about metrics you can use to help like help leadership understand the risks that you're taking. And then figure out a, a way to put yourself in a position where you're taking risks and you can set up like, is it X number of episodes or X amount of time spent with the brand or whatever that's going to help us? Like, if you all agree that if we do this, we should keep going forward with that. I think in terms of how the videos are created, you can do this inside your company or you can find an agency that will help you. But the key thing is like finding someone who's continuing to work with you. Like you need someone to be iterating on the process. Just like I'm sure when you've done this podcast, you figure out different tips around like how things should be recorded, quite types of questions you should ask people who are on the podcast, ways you should talk about on social. Like you're iterating over time and getting more effective over time, hopefully as the audience is growing. So you're getting more effective as the audience is growing, which helps the audience grow faster. So over time, you end up building this bigger and bigger thing. You just have to do the same thing with video. But to do that, you have to put yourself in a position where you have the budget or the time or the studio or the people. You, ha you have to figure out a way to solve the production. Um, and actually, we're also seeing people who are solving this in a way where they're making it much cheaper to produce episodes than everyone, anyone ever thought. So ProfitWell.com is doing a fantastic job of this. They have, I think, three different video shows at this point. All, they all live on their site. They all syndicate everywhere. They're really marketing themselves like a media company. And they'll shoot 10 episodes in a day for something. So it's the same setup. They have producers doing the research and pulling in what the episodes are going to be about. And when you shoot 10 episodes in a day with the same talent, it's a lot cheaper to do. It means the threshold of success that you need to hit is a lot lower. And most people would never expect you could even possibly do that. But with the right planning pre-work, you can actually make it happen. And they build, they do really engaging stuff. So it's, I think they're a great example of someone to look at for a company that's like selling business analytics software. <laughs> like doesn't seem it's like it would be super engaging they're, and they're building it. They're building an audience pretty quickly doing that. And so it goes back to the, the, the mission thing, right? They sell, as you said, business analytics software. They're also consultants when it comes to churn, like identifying why people, why, why people churn and how to help subscription yeah. companies do better. So yeah. if I remember well, they have one show about tearing down pricing pages. I think they have another show that they started, which is more interview based. They interview founders or marketers. And then there's a third one. You mentioned three, but those are the two. Yeah, there's, there's, there's like the ProfitWell report, pricing page teardown. So that's teardown down pricing pages. ProfitWell report is like data that they see from across their customer base on churn and things of that nature. They have Protect the Hustle, which is like an interview series that's like a higher budget one. It's designed to be like a 40-minute video that they also use as an audio podcast. And they have one called Subscription 60, which I think is a like a 60-second show about subscription businesses. I'm actually not sure of the... That one just came out. I'm not sure of the angle of that one relative to the others. But by having multiple shows, actually, one of the interesting things that they're doing is they can talk about... You build up one audience, and then you talk about the next show on the first show. And that makes it easier to build the second show. And then you talk about the third show and the first two, and you layer them and it actually makes it makes it easier to grow all of them. So you said something a few times on this podcast. I want to ask you more detail about it. You said they, they basically market themselves like a media company. What do you mean exactly? Like what's the difference between a media company, the way they would market themselves compared to a traditional SaaS company? Yeah. Yeah. Media company treats the content as a product. So they just like you can, if you have a great product, you can market it forever. If you have great content, you can keep marketing it. And uh, it's, they think about like the analysis, the demographics, the promotion, the cross promotion, retargeting to existing audiences. It's just a different way of thinking about it. The closest example I can give you for us is back to the 110 100 stuff. We made a trailer around the series. We promoted the trailer and we had other like things promoting the, not just the pro trailer promoting the series, but things promoting the trailer. And so it's like, if you treat it like the content is a product and it's a valuable product, it's worthy of your time, people perceive it like that and they're willing to think like, you know, I should, I should take some time to watch this thing. So it's how HBO just started promoting the final season of Game of Thrones. And they had a teaser a month ago that was like basically a 10, 15 second thing. They have like a 30 second one that just came out and they're going to keep promoting Game of Thrones and try to get everyone talking about it. 
and anticipating it and getting ready to watch five hours of content. And that's a big commitment, but they think if you if commit to that, you'll be so delighted through, if you care about that, that type of content, you'll be so delighted by that. You'll tell other people about it. They'll have a big success in their hands. More people buy HBO subscriptions. Boom. Like it'll help them get the most out of that series. So that's probably a nice tip for uh, if you're listening right now is to, to, to be influenced by those actual media company promoting multi-million dollars shows and how exactly did you do it? As you said, Chris, uh, a 15 second trailer followed by a 30 second one followed by a minute one. Like they just build up commitment. They, they build up expectation. Yeah. They, they send dates and teasers. Sometimes they would, they would even, they wouldn't even start with a video. Most of the time they would start to leak one yes. picture of the fucking movie. Yes. And you don't really know who's, you know, so they, they really play on that. And as you said, yeah, they treat their content like a product. Yeah. And I think that they're willing to have it not work too. They just know you have to do it that way. So they do that. And then the movie ends up being terrible. I mean, we started by talking about San Andreas. I love it. Not everyone loves San Andreas. Like, like I can tell you, they promoted that thing like crazy. And, and it, for them, it's like, okay, if it flops, it's a hit space business. And that's what happens when you have unlimited entertainment options available. It's a hit space business, unlimited entertainment options available. They try to stick out their stuff enough and make it obvious enough that you should take the time and consider watching it. But you don't have to do that for everything. But like, if you know you have a hit, you should definitely do that. And so that's also the other thing I think is you build up confidence and you are like, actually, this is a really engaging episode. This is really different. You, you're you more confident with how you promote it. People perceive it as being more worthy of their time. And I think you can make things that are engaging and entertainment enough, entertaining enough that someone will listen to it or watch it instead of watching Netflix, instead of going to the theater. Like they will pick it for that reason. It's just got to be on the nose to to the niche that cares about it. Yeah, and that's one of the core principles of marketing, right? So don't try to please everyone, like pick a very small niche. If you can really nail the content for them and speak to them and feel like they are really like super engaged with it, then yes, you will be able to compete with Netflix. But if you're trying to compete with big companies and trying to reach all marketers in the world, it's probably going to fail. To repeat what you said, there's so many interesting things. I'm going to try to, to do justice to all the stuff you said. It's to really understand your mission first that is bigger than the product. When you want to sell a project like that, let's say you have an idea for a show, always try to set expectations prior to starting it with one metric that really matters to you and to your CEO, to your manager. And advertising yourself or treating this content like a product, like a media company would do, allows you to really maybe have very much like they do in, um, in TV shows where they have a pilot episode, right? They, they start to see whether that connects with people very much like that. You want to see whether after six episodes or whatever it is, is it actually reaching the metric? And if it does, if it is, then happy days, let's keep going. Those are definitely all the steps I didn't do, Chris, if yeah. one, one year ago when I, when I launched something that just, yeah. And so I can recognize my own mistake in that. So I appreciate you going through all of that. Did we forget anything on this? Do you want to talk about something else on the building on onion site? No, I think those, those are the key things. I mean, obviously there's like lots of hard little things in there that when you face them, you know, you're looking at lots of problems that are like, I have no idea how I'm going to do this. I have, I feel terrified, you know, taking this risk or pushing this way. And I would just say like, usually that's a good sign that you're taking, you're pushing on the right stuff. You know, marketing is a creative discipline more so than ever. Right. And, uh, gotta be a little scared or it's probably not going to work. So that's, that's also personally what makes it, I find incredibly engaging and fun, but yeah, I think it's like getting in tune with that and like finding that feeling of like, all right, this feels a little scary, but it feels exciting. Like, let's give it a shot. It's funny because that's what I say to my team. Sometimes I tell them, you know, if you don't have those butterflies in your stomach before you launch something, then it's just not risky enough. It's not going to touch on the emotions yeah. that you want to touch, right? It's too safe and it's a good yeah. sign. Obviously you don't want to go too overboard, but I agree with you definitely. Like when you feel those butterfly, when you know it's, like, I don't know, should I press the button or not? It's usually a good sign. Yes. Yes. This is what happened with this podcast. At first, I was like very scared with this, the name of it and all of it. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Like, but that's what people like. <laughs> they want, they yeah. either love it's it or human, right? It. Exactly. I mean, it's also like people undervalue failure in terms of like, if you are, if you try something that doesn't work and you're transparent about it and you can share anything about what you learned, people appreciate that. Because other people get to learn with you. So it's like, 
it mitigates a lot of the risk. But you have to say, I tried this. It didn't work. We wasted this money. We wasted this time. Didn't connect. But if you actually tell that story, that's usually engaging too. So, Agreed. Um, I always ask a few questions before uh, the end of the show. The first one being, what do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next 10 years, 20 years, 50 years? I would say storytelling is not going away. It's becoming more important, telling great stories. A great story needs tension. It needs emotion. It needs passion. Like I would, I would try to hone in on like, how do you get, how, how can you figure out how to become a better storyteller? That's not, that'll be true forever in marketing. And it works across like every tactic. And maybe on the back of that, have you come across any resources? Maybe you've written about it on the blog. I know you have, but like any resources to, to learn about storytelling that you'd recommend listeners? That, yeah. What is the best resource on storytelling? I haven't come across anything that is like the best. I just try to consume a lot and like take a step back and ask why I think it's good. There's this book I love called Masters of Doom that's about the two guys who founded Doom, which became the Quake Engine for those video game nerds out there. And it's kind of a crazy story of like a partnership, a tiny team doing huge things, growing an enormous amount, how important it was for a tiny team to be get together all the shit that went down and why it wasn't good. Um, and I think it's it's a good example of like a story well told about like the right niche thing. I think you just have to consume a lot of content and and ask yourself like, why is this good and why is it not? And there's a million different ways to tell stories. You have to find the, the, a way that you're passionate about it and that connects with you and to, to the point we were saying before, like helps you get the right the right butterflies. And, and do, <laughs> helps you get the right butterflies. That sounds like a show. Uh, anyway, yeah. the, um, what it reminds me of what you said about storytelling is to try to re reverse engineer good stories that you see. And I wouldn't recommend to read a book about storytelling. I'd recommend to read books of stories that are just phenomenal, like, uh, true crime stories or like fictional, like fiction. Usually you have, yeah. you have top notch storytellers, people who are able to grasp your emotions, your heart, like to, to really make you wonder what the fuck is going to happen next. And if you reverse yeah. engineer how they do it. Yes, it takes time. It's actually not that complex. It's always loops, open loops, closed loops, building tension, releasing yeah. tension. The more you do it, the better. And I personally feel the reason why this podcast has been running for a long time is uh, your episode is number 103 now, I think, if I recall, is because this is just linked to one of my strengths, what I enjoy doing, right? So this is why I feel doing storytelling over video, over podcast, over audio is easier for me. But some others might find that writing is, is something that is yeah. better for them. But I would definitely recommend people to to double down on their strength when it comes to doing storytelling because it's you can't just do any type of format, right? You have to yes. kind of yeah. nail that, right? Um, I agree with you completely. So outside of those, uh, what would be the top three resources you would recommend people uh, listening? Could be anything like a podcast, a book, conference, whatever. Yeah, I mean, the stuff that is been really impactful for me. A lot of it has been like the psychology of like how you run a business and how you figure out what you want to build. Books like Good to Great uh, by Jim Collins was like huge. And I think about it a lot. And the Score Takes Care of Itself by Bill Walsh was a really good one. That's like a classic tech thing that's discussed. This like sounds like a cop-out answer, but I, I, I honestly feel like almost I've been more influenced by watching great stories talking to other people about why they're great, spending time on them. And a lot of the stuff that we're faced with today, a lot of the challenges are the same challenges everyone's always faced, right? Like there are a million great companies and great marketing campaigns that have been done and forgotten. And they were done at a time with no data and just people trusting their ideas and taking risks and talking to customers and like, I would go back like Ogilvy on advertising is really good. And it's part of it that's so cool is you read these like these incredible ads that are like have a ton of text, like the opposite of what you think an ad should be. And it's just a compelling story about like the VW bug. And you're like, what the hell? Why is it so good? I don't get it. And like, how do they measure that? How many magazines they put in that? And then like, how much money do they spend? Like, I think it's go to the past. Like it's all... Storytelling has always been the key. And I think it's back to what you were just saying, figure out a way to get confident about it. So like find the resources that are relevant for you that help you do that. 
Thanks for that. Um, Chris, I didn't comment on your last name because it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty good last name. I have to say, where can people, uh, where can people connect with you and, uh, learn more um, from you? So yeah, um, on Twitter at C Savage, trying to tweet a little bit more, share more about the behind the scenes of Wistia. I also have a blog that I update probably monthly savagethoughts.com. And, you know, we also, a lot of the Wistia stories are on Wistia.com. So the, probably the most proud one from last year was the story about why we decided to, to raise the debt, which was scary and exciting and was great. I'm so good to get it. So glad to get it out there. But uh, yeah, they, those are the spots. Well, Chris, once again, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email list uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a, as a one-to-one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday. So don't be afraid to subscribe. I'm not going to spam you. And you can always unsubscribe for sure, if you wish. The second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback. We know that this show is not perfect yet, and we always uh, can improve. So you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com. Good or bad, please feel free to send me an email. And the last thing I like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode, please share it to your friends, your colleagues, or whoever might like it. And also please review it on iTunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast. Because if you leave us a five-star review, it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker. So thank you so much once again and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.